Oh, Lord, um, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. So what's going on back here in Beth Shemesh in the field? Why did the Jews rejoice? (laughs) Why should we even care? It was so long ago. (laughs) Well, Let's back up almost 400 years to the origin story of the Ark of the Covenant, which seems to have captivated their eyes so much. During the Exodus, the Jews being taken out of Egypt to their own land, God told Moses, God told Moses to make an ark and a portable tabernacle with furnishings in it to house it as they wandered through the, universe, through the wilderness. The ark was to hold the sacred tablets of the law, which God had given Moses, hence its name, the Ark of the Covenant. And we should know that God was quite specific in everything having to do with the ark and the tabernacle and the vestments for that matter. The dimensions, the construction, the handling of the ark were very clear. The ark was to be an acacia wood box, 52 inches long, 31 inches tall, and 31 inches deep. It was to be covered with gold. Moses was told to build a lid for the top of it with two gold cherubim on it, where, God told him, there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, that are upon the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak with you of all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So it's not just a regular box, is it? There I will meet with you, was God's way of fulfilling his promise to go with the Israelites in their escape from Egypt and during their journey to the promised land. Moses, Aaron, and the people of God could breathe easy because with God in their midst, this mission of going into a promised land would be successful. God himself, Emmanuel, which literally means God with us, would be with them. In fact, God would show his presence and involvement with the people during those 40 years in the wilderness in lots and lots of ways. He gave them manna every day, gave them water. He went before them in a pillar of cloud to guide their way by day and a pillar of fire to give them light by night. They'd also see that God was with them when Moses went to his tent just outside the camp to meet with him. The cloud of God's presence would descend upon the tent of meeting. The Israelites would also participate in and watch the building of the Tent of Meetings replacement structure, a large portable tabernacle. In fact, all of Israel would be invited to provide the needed materials for this large portable tabernacle and all its furnishings and the vestments. The Israelites then watched in the midst of this camp as God assigned specific builders, artists, and weavers to execute his plan 
for the tabernacle and all that was involved. After the tabernacle was complete, the ark was placed in the holy of holies in that space and the cloud of God's presence never left. So the evidence of God's presence with the Israelites was continuous, reassuring, and holy before, during, and after the construction of the ark. The ark was so sacred, in fact, that God even singled out a select branch of the Levites, the descendants of Kohath, they were called the Kohathites, to handle the ark and all the tabernacle, the the furnishings inside. No one else was allowed to touch these things. This is important relative to the story we heard about the Philistines. What could go wrong? So the purpose, construction, and the handling of the ark was quite exacting. And God also managed the deployment of the ark. It was at his instruction that the Kohathites carried the ark to the Jordan River where the miracle happened. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand in a heap. It was at God's instruction that the Kohathites carried the ark around the walls of Jericho, whereas the song goes, then the walls came a-tumbling down. After the 40 years in the wilderness and the nine years or so that God took in his wisdom to give the promised land to the people, tribe by tribe, battle by battle, the ark was finally settled in the tabernacle, which had been located in Shiloh, where it remained for 369 years. It was a fixed presence of holiness in their midst. During those 369 years when the Israelites and their judges and high priests obeyed God and followed his rules for the tabernacle and the sacred objects therein, blessings, not curses, would follow them all the days of their lives. When the neighboring Midianites, Ammonites, Moabites, and all the otherites would attack them, God would give the Israelites victory. The tabernacle and the ark and the six faithful priests who came in order during those 369 years were a steady, holy reminder that God doesn't change. God is present and real and that Israel could live peacefully in the land. But if the priests, judges, and Israelites grew lax in their faithfulness to God, massive defeats in battles, plagues, and death would ensue, which brings us to our scene today. The people of Beth Shemesh, lifting up their eyes and seeing the ark and rejoicing. So in that scene, our scene for today, it's 369 years minus seven, well, plus seven months since the ark was built and placed in Shiloh. The high priest now in Shiloh is Eli, who uniquely was also a judge. The problem is 
that Eli had grown jaded in his duties over the years and was actually rather indifferent to the sacrilege of his two sons, Phineas and Hophni, who were also priests. They were priests in charge of the sacrifices, and boy, did they bend the rules. Eli, their father, the high priest, chose avoidance instead of confrontation in dealing with their sacrilege. His not looking, not looking stance caused the moral lassitude that was already beginning in him to feed on itself and grow. And the consequences, so sad. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. This last part about his eyesight growing dim and him lying down was true of Eli's body and his behavior and posture towards God. His lenses for seeing the world were dimmed and marred such that cynicism developed in him. For instance, when he saw a woman crying and praying to God at the doorpost of the tabernacle in Shiloh, he didn't even recognize that what he was seeing was humble, self-effacing prayer. Since he honored his sons more than God, the sons of this dimmed, cynical high priest would cause their destruction. Just a few years after the crying woman at the tabernacle incident, the Philistines attacked and defeated the Israelites in battle, killing 4,000 Israelites. So the Israelites asked, why'd this defeat happen? And suggested that it'd be a good idea if they sent some people, some men to Shiloh and get that ark and bring it to Ebenezer, where their camp was, and then into the battle. Maybe they'd start winning. They thought, God will go with us, because that was sort of the arc of the presence as well between the two cherubim, and save us from the hand of our enemies. So the men went to Shiloh to pick up the ark, and Phineas and Hophni just let them take it. Well, as we can see from all these little details I've given you, there's a big problem here. The problem, which is a problem we fall into sometimes, I'll own that for me, was that they thought it was a good idea, not God told them this thought, which is what he did with Jericho and Joshua. And he had the Kohathite priests carry it. Under Eli... The priests had fudged the law, so much so that the Israelites had just grown accustomed to operating on their own. So the Kohathite priests didn't carry the ark out of Shiloh into Ebenezer. They didn't carry it into battle. Men did, took this sacred object with their own hands and then carried it into battle. Well, what it, we know what happened It was devastating to the Israelites. They lost 30,000 people the next day. 
Phineas and Hophni, the sacrilegious priest sons, died that same day from a divine curse that God put on them. The ark fell to the Philistines, and Eli died in horror that the ark of the covenant had fallen into Philistine hands. The Philistines had the ark for seven horrible months, horrible to them. Tumors and sickness broke out among their people. Their god Dagon would continually fall over. They kept passing the ark on to the next village like a hot potato, not forewarning the people, just optimism probably. Maybe it'll be better for them. They actually believed more about God's power with the ark than the Jews did, than the Israelites did. It never worked out for them. And so finally, they prayed to their holy people, their gods, talked to their holy people and said, how do we get rid of this thing? And that long thing that Megumi read, thank you, Megumi, (laughs) you're a brick, that was great. All those details about the cows that had just given birth and they didn't have their calves with them and they were lowing and if anything, they would have turned right around to get back to their new little babies. But they just kept going and if they did the fork in the road that left Philistine, then it would be great and it would clearly be God. But if they didn't, nature would take its course and they'd go right back to their their baby calves. Well, nature didn't take us course. God did intervene. They kept going, and we came to our scene. The people of Beth Shemesh looked up, saw it, and rejoiced. Now, there were no phones or newspapers back then. How would the people of Beth Shemesh even have known about all of this? Well, Beth Shemesh was at the axis of the north-south and the east-west trade routes, They would have learned up north where Shiloh was that, oh, the ark has been taken by people and it fell in battle. And just west of them was Philistine and the traders from there would have told them about their experience with the ark. So yes, they knew what had happened. And I wonder what they were thinking when they rejoiced. The Were they thinking God is holy and not to be messed with? Absolutely. Were they thinking that God's care and sovereignty over us is unchanging and he will not be mocked? Some thought this, but 70 of them didn't think about that, and they actually lifted the lid and looked into the ark. Boom, God struck them down. So some of the people were rejoicing, and some were in mourning, and some were dead. I think of the tension and things that go through our minds when we hear things from the internet trade routes in our lives. How are our country's governmental and religious leaders doing in obeying God? Well, back in Eli's day, God had it well in hand. Remember that woman who was crying at the temple and Eli thought she was drunk because he couldn't even recognize holiness when he saw it? 
After she clarified that she was not drunk, Eli backpedaled and said, I'll give, I pray to God that he gives you whatever you're asking for. Well, what she was asking for was a child. And that child was Samuel, a boy descended from, drum roll, the Kohathites, the Kohathite branch of the Levites. Levites. This descendant of Kohath, this little boy named Samuel, would be dedicated to God, would live with Eli, and later become prophet, priest, and judge in Israel. God won in that struggle of obedience and disobedience, but it wasn't ended permanently. Even Samuel, so gifted and favored by God, had two sons who weren't good. So really, it gets down to the individual, doesn't it? God sets before us life and death. What do I choose? What do you choose? Will I follow God's ways? or my ways, or sort of a little of this and a little of that. When we see ungodliness in the screaming voices, the clanging symbols around us, do we, like Joshua, believe God when he says, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. As a church, we at Trinity, you all know this, we choose to honor holiness and to act in love and obedience to Jesus's call. And what's his call to all of us? To care for the world, the poor, the suffering, and our neighbor in love. Well, we can decide that, but the Phineases, Elis, and Hophnes are operating all around us in our country and in the world. I mean, we certainly saw no love and holiness in the people storming the Capitol on January 6th, which in our internet trade route, we can access all those hearing videos. We certainly see no love if we Watch the Watchman Decree at the Christian Nationalism event, July 1st, 2022, in Atlanta, Georgia. The Eli's, Phineas's, and Hophni's around us have hearts, hearts that have grown so dim that they've forgotten about saying yes to Jesus' exhortation to love. They've forgotten the truth. They may be right in a lot of things, but it must hold hands with love or else it's a noisy gong that frightens and confuses people and yes, even kills them as on January 6th. In his wisdom, God had a solution to the Eli problem the problem of disintegrating holiness in Eli and in Israel. His solution then was Samuel. 
My most consoling scene, in fact, in the scriptures is the scene of the young boy Samuel sleeping in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was. I can't think of a more consoling, holy, peace-generating scene. The Ark represents the unchanging presence, care, and wisdom of God. We've all had Eli's in our lives, people in authority who have failed us, be they priests, governments, medical professionals, or parents. Personally, my own mother walked out on her family when I was only four years old and never came back. Rather than right order, I experienced, and many of us have experienced in our own histories, harmful order. But the good news is that we, like the people of Beth Shemesh, can remember to lift up our eyes and see the ark and rejoice. And we as Christians can even lift up our eyes beyond the ark of the old covenant to the New Testament ark of Jesus' presence. For whom, from whom, Jesus, our new ark of the covenant of God's presence with us, comes a love that will never fail us, an authority that will never harm us, a joy that will never leave us, As Christians, we can even remember that we too have become, in a sense, arcs of God's presence with the Holy Spirit inside us. People around us can lift up their eyes and see God in us and rejoice. Unlike Eli, Phineas, and Hophni, we can remember that God is creator and holy sovereign of the whole universe, and he actually has the prerogative to make the rules. We can remember to pray. So let's pray now. Now, Lord, we lift up our eyes to you and rejoice in the gift of knowing you. Heal, O Lord, the damage that has happened in our lives at the hands of people in authority who caused us hurt. And in the transforming power of Jesus, move in the hearts and minds of those whose understanding of your nature and holiness and love has grown dim such that they bring harm to our families and our country. Fill them and us with your Holy Spirit that we choose to lift our eyes to see you and in seeing you to rejoice. In Jesus' name we pray.